Alright, uh, let's pray and start. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we want to thank you for this time. Lord, as we discuss the topic on singleness and dating, Lord, we pray that may you give us the wisdom to understand what your scripture tells about it and uh, we'll be able to learn some practical things from it and be able to apply it in our lives. Be with us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so in your handout, you will find one session called How Would You Define Being Single? You see this first question? Maybe take 10 seconds, 20 seconds to just write down what according to you would be the definition of being single. Okay? Anything from your cultural background that you have learned that you would like to put in or you have heard in the past? What according to you would define being single? And once you have written that, can we just go around the room? One or two people would love to share it. Or I can call out people and they would like to share their definition. I have written not married. Not married. Fantastic. Okay. Any other definition apart from being not married? I was not married or dating. Not married or dating. Ah, interesting. Anyone else? This side, this table? How you file your taxes. How you file your taxes. I thought we, we don't file taxes here. Yeah. <laughs> 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 All right. I was, I was on Google and I was uh, searching out certain myths. Um, one of the interesting one I came across was, if you crack your knuckles, your fingers will become thicker and you will have arthritis in your old age. It's a myth. It's a myth. You can crack your knuckles. Another, another myth I heard was, bulls get angry when they see the color red. It's a myth. Okay? It's not true. You can wear a red t-shirt, roam around without any problem. In India especially, there won't be any issues. Here's an interesting one. Singleness in Christian life is terrible. In a church like Covenant Hope, which has such strong marriage culture, there's a temptation to define singleness as someone who is not married. Uh, in fact, Mr. Google says that singleness is someone who is not married. <clears throat> And when you come to church, especially like Covenant Hope, sometimes you can think, man, it's hard to be here. Everyone around me is married or is dating or is considering someone. Or my best friend is already married, now he's having a baby. It's hard to be around such people. But I want to establish the fact that your identity as a single adult doesn't have to revolve around the fact that you are not married. If you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Bible gives us a much better definition. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 7, Paul says something interesting. He says that singleness is a gift. Look at 1 Corinthians 7, 7. I wish that all people were as I am, meaning unmarried, but each one has their own gift from God. One person has this gift and another has that. You know, what he's pretty much saying is, those who are married, marriage is a gift from God. And those who are single, 
the season of singleness is a gift from God. But he gives a much richer definition down the line in verse 35 of the same chapter. He says, single is the one who has undivided devotion to the Lord. How do you define singleness? It is someone who has undivided devotion to the Lord. You know, I, I'll take my own example, okay? I'm married for 10 years. There are people in this room who might be married for even longer time. But I can truly say one thing is, I have a great responsibility towards my wife. I have two kids. I have to give time to them. And then I have to give time to my Lord, my Savior. I have divided attention. And I'm not saying these things are bad. God says these are God-given responsibilities to take care of your wife, to take care of your children. But you have divided attention. But the unmarried person only needs to be concerned about one thing, pleasing Jesus. That's the one straight focus that he can have. He doesn't have any divided attention. You know, Paul says something very interesting that you can use your gift of singleness for two things. One is to glorify God or bring glory to God. And second is to edify the church. To bring glory to God and to edify the church. That should be your prime motive as being single. And he says that singleness also brings freedom. Look at verse 32 and 34. As singles, you have freedom to dedicate your life to God. In fact, you can be concerned about the things of the Lord and how to please God. Verse 32. And then in verse 34, he says that your aim should be how to be holy in body and spirit. <coughs> Brothers, you got freedom to invest in your spiritual growth in a way that would be much harder to do as a married man. And that's reality. Take advantage of singleness to grow closer to God. But here is problem. One problem that Romans chapter 8 verse 8, Paul brings out in front of us. He says that those who are in flesh cannot please God. So what is the first step to even proceed with pleasing God or to glorify God or even to edify the church? It would be to accept the sacrifice of sin that God provided in the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. Brothers, we have to meditate on the gospel every day. You know, from there we'll be able to build faith because without faith, it is impossible to please God. That's what the writer of Hebrews says. Now, how can you grow in your faith? Let me put on some just practical lessons. One, recognize that success does not come from human effort. You know, success cannot come from human effort. No matter how much you try to live your single life the best way possible in order to glorify God, you have to first realize that it cannot happen by yourself, by your human effort. Without God, we are left with our own resources. And think about our own resources. It's our pride. It's our stubbornness. It's our sinfulness in all aspects of life. Therefore, we need to immerse ourselves in the gospel, which actually reminds of our own depravity. And it points us to Christ who gives strength in our weakness. We need to grow in our faith and we need to work on it. 
But I want to talk to you one of the important things as individuals, as singles, how do you relate with each other in the church? About your relationships in the church. You know, Paul is constantly in 1 Corinthians 7. If you do a detailed study, you will realize that he's saying that you have freedom to love and serve God by investing in church community. But how can you do that? Because many of us, I know the people that I'm interacting with and, and when I was single, I loved isolation. You know, I, lo- I want to be alone. I want my me time. I don't like people coming in and disturbing my weekend because I've worked five days very hard. I've done double shift. It's hard. Saturday, I want to sleep. Why should I do a catch up? Right? We love isolation. We love our time and space. But look at Proverbs chapter 18, verse 1. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 18, verse 1. It says that whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. You know, what the author is saying is when someone leaves, or avoids community that he needs, he's been lured away by sinful desires. Brothers, the more isolated we become, the more we are in danger of cutting ourselves from receiving grace, mercy, and guidance from church family. You know, as singles, I would encourage you to go and have meaningful relationships in the church Look at what John Piper says. It's there in your notes, but here is what what he says. Friendship is a great weapon against spiritual isolation. And one meaningful covenant with a church family is worth an army of friendship. Let me repeat that. Friendship is a great weapon against spiritual isolation. And one meaningful covenant with a church family is worth an army of friendship. And this morning, we just heard from Brian that Christ is the ground of any and every gospel friendship. So I'll encourage all the singles here, pursue meaningful friendship with the members of the church, especially with families as well. Invest your time in them. Because as Christians, we who are united in Christ, we are by definition in relationship with each other. Whether you like it or not, you are in relationship with each other. The members of the church are your brothers and sisters. So here is one question that I want you to ponder. When you think of relationships in the church, your relationship in the church, what in your mind is the binding factor that brings you closer to each other? Okay, let's be honest about this question. Okay, I don't want answers out loud. I know, but... What is that one factor that binds you to each other? Is it your ethnicity? Is it your age? Is it your hobbies? Is it your language that you speak? Is it some common interest? Or is it the gospel of Jesus Christ? You know, one book I'll definitely recommend is Compelling Community. It talks about gospel plus community. You know, apart from gospel, we like to go and make friends based on all the other factors. But true and genuine friendships are only based on the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is what brings us together. There's nothing common between me or Mark. He does not belong from India. I I am definitely not Scottish. Uh, There's nothing common. But what brings us together is the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
So as singles, what binds your friendship in the church should be the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, some of the practical ways that you can bring genuine friendship and covenant hope, uh, some of the things you would have discussed in your breakout sessions earlier, but this is how you can do this. Be genuinely concerned for each other. You know, both physical and spiritual well-being. You know, your greatest priority has to be your own spiritual growth as well as the growth of your fellow brothers and sisters in the church. Be honest with each other. You know, this is, this is something which I always find very difficult. We like to tell partial truth. Right? We confess partially because that person should only know that much. Confess with one another. Be honest. Repent. Confront sins in life of one another. Don't be scared when you see your fellow brothers who are struggling. Go and confront them. But be humble to accept correction in your own life as well. You know, one of the important things, and this is also very much applicable for the married men sitting here. You know, the next thing that I want to cover up is on sexual purity. You know, this is not just for people who are single, but also for married men. Have you heard this saying, if it feels good, do it? Hey, it's not harmful, so do it. No one is seeing, do it. You know, this is what the world tells us. And to be very honest, now this could mean watching porn in your closed doors. It could mean masturbating because you're habitual, you want self-gratification. Constantly lusting over opposite sex. Brother, the list is long. In Ephesians 5, if you turn there, it says that God gave man and woman the joy and pleasure of sexual relationship within the bounds of marriage. That's, that's what Paul is talking about, marriage. And Bible is clear about the importance of maintaining sexual purity within the boundaries of the union between man and woman. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 2, where we have been meditating a lot, in verse 2, he pretty much explicitly tells one thing. All sexual expression was designed by God for marriage relationship. Period. There's nothing else. There's no exception, brothers. But in all honesty, I think everyone sitting in this room has this temptation with sexuality of being attracted to opposite sex or being addicted to something that you're not supposed to. You know, a man would be a fool to deny it. In fact, Jesus says that sin begins in the heart. It's a heart issue. Turn with me to Mark chapter 7, verse 20 onwards. Mark chapter 7, verse 20 onwards. Look at what Jesus says there. He said, what comes out of a person is what defies them. From It is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. 
all these evils come from the inside and defiles a person. You know, one of the popular things that uh, happens among this, the next generation that I've seen is sexting. Have you heard of this term, sexting? How many of you have heard? Yeah? Very common. And when you go and talk to them, I have not done anything in reality. It's just on text. I just exchanges, exchange few messages. It's not harming anyone. But brothers, what's happening is you're getting emotionally entangled in that relationship. Whether you like it or not, this is going to affect all your future relationship that you get into. You know, I, I know of a good friend of mine. He was addicted to porn. <coughs> And just before marriage, six months before marriage, he said, since I'm getting married, let me stop watching porn. He entered into marriage with all the expectation that he had, what he had watched in his laptop or on TV. And then he expected the same thing from his wife. And here's the re reality. Marriage is nothing like porn. There was disappointment. There was discontentment. Eventually leading to divorce. Why? Because the problem was never addressed in a single days. He never repented. There was never discipling that happened. He never confessed his sins to one another. Brother, sexual purity is very important in the eyes of God and it has great consequences in future. We have to address it in our single days. And this goes for married men as well. If you are struggling with it, I would recommend come and talk to the elders. Open up. You cannot fight this battle alone. You cannot fight this battle alone. You need people. Share it with your small group leaders. Be honest about your life. But share your struggles. You know, there is this book that we'll be give away, uh, giving it away. It's called Seven Myths of Singleness by Sam Albury. And he shares three practical ways from which you can you know, fight this uh, battle of sexual purity. Uh, first thing he says is flee from temptation. Look at Proverbs chapter 5, verse 7 and 8. Proverbs chapter 5, verse 7 and 8. It says, Now then, my son, listen to me. Do not turn aside from what I say. Keep to a path far from her. Do not go near her door of her house. The point is flee. Flee from temptation because five minutes of satisfaction results in lifetime of condemnation in eyes of God. Think about it. Think about it. Flee. Second thing of what Sam says is remember that God is watching. You know, if you like Twitter, hashtag, no secret sin. Uh, <laughs> Proverbs chapter 5 verse 21, it says... For your ways are in full view of the Lord and he examines all your path. In fact, Hebrews author says in chapter 4 verse 13 that we will give an account of our lives to God one day. Brothers, you can do things behind closed doors. You can travel far from Dubai in a close by city and do a lot of things thinking that no one in the church is coming to know. But God is watching. A holy Righteous God watches us. There is no secret sin.
And one day we will give an account of our life. But there is hope. There is hope. The third thing he says is consider the gospel. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood. Brother, we all struggle. It might be sin of pornography. It might be sin of sexting. Or it could be any other sin as singles that we might be struggling. Or as married men we might be struggling. But there is hope. Because Jesus paid it all on the cross. He didn't pay it in part, but he paid it whole. You can come to him, repent, and he is faithful to forgive. You know, as I end, because I want to give time to the dating aspect, I think most of you are here to listen on the dating side. Uh, you know, let me just put out some, uh, you know, another myths that, that's there, right? I am incomplete if I'm not married. If you have that thought process, it's a myth. When I get married, I won't struggle with lust anymore. I'll be satisfied. Brother, it's a myth. If I have a spouse, oh, I'll be so fruitful in my ministry. Brothers, it's a myth. God made you complete. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, uh, chapter 1 and 2, when you read, he, it says that God created us in his own image. And when he created everything, he said it was good. Brother, he created us complete. You know, when, if you have been to marriage uh, ceremonies and if you heard sermons, you know, some of the sermons says, when the couples are married, they say, now you are complete. It's not that the spouse makes you complete. It's God who makes you complete. So trust him. Let your reliance not be on your marriage or on the things of your imagination or even some of the things that you've struggled with. Let it be God alone. Right? So I'll invite Chanel to come forward and uh, he'll be talking on dating. But I know 15 minutes is quite less time to talk about everything about dating, but more than happy to talk to you later uh, in the session or during uh, dinner or anything during the week as well. Okay. Thanks, Ben. Um, well, before, before we think about dating, uh, I think, you know, we're at a, a conference on gospel friendship. I want to help us make use of that as an opportunity to make friends. So uh, pair up with the person beside you, and uh, here's the question I want you to think about. How has the world or your family or your past defined how you understand dating? So how has the world, your family, and your past define how you understand dating. So take a, well, let's take about four to five minutes talking about that. Maybe you want to make some notes, but pair up with the person beside you. And I'm hoping that in some way that this will be kind of a starting place for conversations. Um, but take, let's, let's think about that together. So take some time. We'll come back in a bit. I'm <laughs> <laughs> 
How has the world or your family or your past defined your understanding of dating? Anybody? Yeah, so how has the world, your family, your past defined your understanding of dating? It's a sin. Okay. Dating is a sin. Okay. Haram. Okay, it's haram. So it's just a <laughs> George, is it the world or your past experience? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, okay. Anyone else? Uh, there is no need for dating. There's no need for dating. Just get, see the girl get married. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> sure, yeah. Other thoughts? It was expected. Mm. 
goes to the opposite in some ways. Yeah. Expected as opposed to not needed. Okay. It was like a, a status thing, like, mm -hmm. oh, I got a girlfriend, you know, yeah. like, I'm cool or something. And, and also peer pressure. Peer pressure. Okay. I think, um, mm -hmm. Matt, you Matt. Oh, we were talking about dating is really broad mm -hmm. in what it means. Yeah. Um, I was, I was going to say the world often defines dating as sort of like test driving. Yeah. Right. You know, something before you purchase. Yeah. Right. So you want to experience as much of it before you make the commitment to know whether you should or not. Yeah. Sadly. Right. And I'm going to try to address a little bit of that in, in this part of the seminar. But I want to say, and it, you know, honestly, for those of you that are single and are considering dating or you are dating, um, in this room itself, you have something of a, of a big help in that um, you know, there are married men here to whom I think you might find a lot of help and resource. Uh, I, you know, my perception of dating as a non-Christian was, you know, I, I'm just going to date how many of I want to and just, uh, you know, feel happy about it. Uh, and wait till I feel more happy, then that's going to be the person I date. I'm going to be married to. Very uh, superficial. Um, and I think I found that, you know, as a Christian, I've been blessed by... Um, other people speaking into my life, offering me real wisdom. But before we think about dating, I want to kind of reiterate something that, that Ben has been saying, which is you have to remember that fundamentally, in God's eyes, we're either a sinner or a redeemed saint. We have to begin there because it's particularly tempting for us to view our lives as an Indian single man or a um, divorced Brazilian, you know, for example, or a very busy engineer. Now, none of those things are necessarily wrong, except that that is not the way God sees us. And the problem is, the more, as we begin to consider ourselves in those categories, we will sin. <laughs> we will struggle with idolatry. We will get frustrated. We're going to get selfish. And so I want to begin there and let that be the sort of de determiner. Um, is your identity rooted in your circumstance or in your life situation or deeply rooted in the saving work of Jesus Christ? And if you're not a Christian, I want to say that that's the most important thing you could do is to work out what it means for you to have your identity rooted in Christ's finished work. That will matter the most. But we also want to remember that when we think of God we need to remember that God is at work in us, sanctifying us in the midst of our life stages, not apart from it. And that helps us begin to see how God is at work, uh, how God's work in our life is far more important, will always be far more important than whatever stage he has put us in. So I want us to begin there. Well, here's the natural question you probably are asking, how should we think about dating, right? Um, now, some of you might also come from cultures where dating uh, is... Alien, it's, you don't even have an idea for it, so uh, maybe this idea of dating might sound new to you, and that's okay. Uh, this is, I want to I give us something of a brief history. I found this to be particularly helpful, uh, just to work out a bit of a timeline of where this idea of dating began. Uh, this is as far as the, the little research that I did, so I might need to do more. But by function, really, much of the idea of dating began in the early 1900s, when a young man was scheduled to meet a young lady at her parents' home. And then this courting progressed. The couple might advance to, from the parents' home to meeting the other parts of the family, under the, but still under the watchful eye of parents. 
In the 1920s, urbanization provided a new social outlet for meeting people outside the home. So now singles were able to go together to places like restaurants or movie theaters or dance halls. Casual dating became something of a common uh, trend. In the 1930s came the invention of the automobile, the cars. And now men could drive. Men and women could drive, which meant dating was, has gone further away from the home to uh, a restaurant to really wherever the car can take you. It dramatically changed the freedom it gave people. And then really in the 1960s, this I think seems to affect us even now, came the rise of the feminist movement and the sexual revolution. And so things like casual sex became normal. It was a sort of, dating was the route towards sex. Now, the reason I wanted to begin there is because uh, we have to be careful about the ideas and the techniques of dating that we, that we uh, adopt. We want, to be careful not, uh, we want to be careful to highlight the fact that what is normal in our culture doesn't naturally mean that it's right. And it's to highlight that what we think about dating is often affected by the world we live in, more than we realize, actually. Romans 12, 2 tells us, do not conform any longer to the pattern of the world, but being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what is God's will, his good and pleasing perfect will. So my brothers, I want to encourage us not to have a passive approach to how we think about dating, but rather a very active approach to how we think about it. Actively consider how much of what I think about dating is affected by what I see around me versus what I might know to be true from God's word. And that's what I'm going to try to get at. I'm going to keep trying to reiterate principles that I think we see in God's word. Um, so how do we define dating? Right? You, you'll see I put that in there. Uh, dating is a relationship between a man and a woman who are actively and intentionally uh, considering marriage. It's a relationship with purpose. And the purpose is of finding out if God would have the two marry. Mm. Now, I'm assuming a number of you have questions. Maybe things like, well, how do, how do we get close to someone in order to make a wise decision about marrying without stealing the privileges of marriage? Or maybe asking, how do we find a spouse without leaving a trail of regret and broken promises? I mean, I'm gonna have a, I'm, I have a covenant already with this person in this church. So if dating is a relationship where a man and a woman are actively considering marriage, does that necessarily mean marriage is the destination? Is a successful date one that must end in marriage? I want to say in some respects, yes, and in some respects, no. Yes, in that it's not just a time to go have a fun weekend out of the way. There's a purpose in that they're working their way towards considering marriage. But on the other hand, the answer is no, because the goal is to determine if God would have them be married. And if a couple then finds that answer to be no, we need to trust that the Lord is at work and that we can break up. So as a result, we don't need to make dating a bigger deal than it is. Neither should we take it lightly. We want to let God and God's people help us consider how this might help us work towards marriage. Before I start with questions, I want to help explain uh, something of what I think are differences between Christian dating versus worldly dating. So you'll see a chart there. You might want to maybe note some of these things down. In Christian marriage, you'll notice how I'm beginning not with dating, but with marriage. It has its goal to be emotionally and physically intimate with one member of the opposite sex, your spouse, 
And that intimacy is primarily sought out in marriage. So the goal of Christian dating is not to uh, speed track intimacy, to test the, the vehicle, so to speak. Worldly dating's philosophy not only assumes that, that they must have more intimacy, but they advocate for this you know, idea of, I'm going to play the field. I'm going to work out who really meets my requirements for intimacy. The world says, act like you're married. The Bible speaks of marriage in, in the form of a covenant made with one another. Mm. Worldly dating assumes that the only way to get to know a person is to spend exclusively all your time with that person. Mm. Christian dating actually values the time spent in group settings, in the church, so that men and women are particularly uh, protected from the temptation towards intimacy. I'm going to explain a little bit about that later. Christian dating is complementarian. God has created man and women differently and has ordained that each of these spiritual equals play a different role in the church. Now, I'm not necessarily saying that in a dating relationship, the man is going to lead this woman much like a husband would lead his wife. But there's a willingness to work out what that role looks like when we get married. Worldly dating is egalitarian. There's no difference over what the roles are. Christian dating assumes that long periods of dating are not needed. Because what you're after is an appropriate knowledge in order to, to, to decide whether we're willing to commit to one another mm-hmm. in marriage. Worldly dating says spend all the time you want. Drop the commitments. Live in if you wanted to. Because you need to get to know the person more deeply, more than anyone else in the world. Christian dating, and I want to kind of stress on this here, understands that personal happiness is not the greatest. Control, it's not the greatest, most controlling thing in the relationship. But it is one's holiness and one's spiritual growth. Worldly dating assumes that a good relationship will meet my need. It focuses on being with the right person who will do what I want. Christian dating understands biblically commitment comes before intimacy. Worldly dating assumes that there, there will be a high level of emotional involvement in a dating relationship, including physical involvement. That's how we're going to test the, test the wheels, figure it out. Finally, Christian dating understands that biblically, a part of being a Christian is being accountable to others. Worldly dating assumes that what I do and who I date and what we do is my business. Mm. stop there a little bit. Any thoughts, any questions? Matt, and then... All right, why don't you go ahead? No, I was just going to ask you to repeat your last point about worldly dating. Yeah, Christian dating understands that biblically a part of being a Christian is being accountable to others. Worldly dating assumes that what I do, who I date, and what we do while we date is everything, is private. I was just going to ask, um, you said Christian dating doesn't need long periods. Yeah. What do you mean by the long periods? Um, yeah, I said long periods on purpose. <laughs> I think there's, there's going to be a sense of prudence and wisdom in defining what that might mean. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, I mean, I, I can come up with an hour, but I think there's wisdom. And there might be wisdom in talking to some people that know you best. Yeah. Uh, Shannon, you mentioned that uh, in Christian dating, uh, we look 
for spiritual growth. So I like, just wanted to understand like What do I mean by that? Yeah. I'm going to come to that in the next section. Okay. But that's great. Thanks for asking that question. Uh, you said, uh, I'm paraphrasing obviously, but you said something along the lines that the, the purpose in Christian is to find if you're just a, a, like the threshold for commitment, right? Yeah. How do you, how, how is that defined? How is that defined? I'm going to try and explain some of that. Okay. Yeah. But thanks for asking. Uh, well, it seems like we're already getting there, so let's, let's, let's think about that. I want to look at that next category of that, am I ready for dating? Oftentimes when we consider dating people, the, the natural posture is, who's out there? What am I going to find? Who am I going to look for? I want to suggest, as Christians, we need to begin with ourselves. Uh, with this definition of dating, answering the question, am I ready to date, is a little simpler because in essence, you're asking, if I begin this relationship and it moves forward towards engagement, really you're asking then, Am I ready to get married? You can imagine a number of situations where a person for a season may decide to focus their energy on something else before looking for a spouse. But I want to offer three things that I think can be pretty crucial. Three areas that you really want to consider. One, are you a recent convert? Maybe that the individual is, had just come to faith. Maybe they're still learning what it means to be grounded in the gospel. And there's a sense that they themselves, or maybe people that are discipling them, recognize they really need maturing. So brothers, I want to ask you not just the question of are you recently converted, but are you growing in Jesus? Mm. I think that's going to be a crucial question for you to be thinking about. The second one is, is there any hidden unrepentant sin? Ben started to talk a little bit about that. But I can't stress all the more how important it is that we think particularly about our sin and how we deal with it. There's a freedom in, in your singleness that, that avails you the opportunity with the help of other brothers to think through your life. Assess areas where you are prone towards hidden sin and unrepentant sin. Maybe there is hidden sin and unrepentant sin. And brothers, the, that whatever you take into that relationship is really what you will only taken to marriage, and it will grow. Finally, and this is something of a prudence, okay? Is there a major life commitment? Maybe something like a job, a recent job change. Maybe a significant amount of debt clearing that needs sorting out. It might mean that they just need to get a handle of some of these things, like their finances. Maybe it might mean just coming up with a plan to make progress towards reducing this amount of debt. Uh, what I mean by here is I think if you're in the midst of something of a big life commitment, adding to that with a, a dating relationship the, through the pathway of marriage might be a lot for you to deal with right now. And this is where I want to encourage you to speak to some of the married men that are here. I speak to one of the elders. Uh, help, help, help them help you think about what's going on in your life. And this is really the opportunity for us to be open and honest. Free to ask men to look in and say, hey, what do you think? You're, you're married. Hey, this is where I'm at right now. Do you think, you know, I, I am, I'm, I'm serving myself up well for a future spouse? Uh, listen, I want to say the aim is not perfection. Uh, which is why inviting someone who disciples you regularly into this conversation is helpful. We do, however, need to be honest with ourselves. And what better place to do that but in God's church? amongst God's people. 
You know, I want to remind you of Paul's words to the Philippians in Philippians 2, 3 and 4. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Really, uh, you know, when in hidden sin or in, in sort of personal obligation, the temptation is towards selfish ambition, is towards vain conceit. But in, in dating as your work, walking towards marriage, what you are going to do is to consider others as better than yourselves. So brothers, how might you want to grow in that? Each of you should look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Here's the big uh, perennial question, right? What do I look for? How do I decide who to marry? The short, simple answer is wisdom from God. (laughs) The Bible's approach to decision-making is God's word. Not some kind of mystical wait until God shows you a sign from the sky, but wisdom. Proverbs 23, 23 says, buy truth and do not sell it. Buy wisdom, instruction, and understanding. So I want to encourage you men to bathe yourself in the word of God. Follow Christ with all your heart. Follow men who are following Jesus with all their hearts. And ask them what are they doing? And marry a person where together you can serve God better than apart. So what does it look like? To, 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 so what does that mean for a person? Well, you want to consider their character. I want to suggest that really ultimately what most matters is a person's character. Proverbs 31, 30 talks about this. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. And men, if you're here thinking about dating, I assume at some level that's what you're looking for. And yet so often we don't really believe that this is sufficient, right? I mean, often when people think about dating, they think of attraction. I need to find these, these, uh, these things that make us attractive, not I need to be looking for a woman of character. You want to marry a woman who fears the Lord, full stop, no exceptions. You want to marry a growing Christian. So with that, I want to give you six questions. Now, look, you might, you might speak to some of these married men here, and they might have more than six, less than six, but I just wanted to give you six starting questions to help you consider her character. Is she a believer? Does she faithfully make use of the means of grace? If you have uncertainty, ask a wise Christian that knows her. Hey, again, the goal is not perfection. The goal is not to kind of check the list off but rather is to, in prayer, ask, how are they doing in the Lord? Second, does she show an evident love for Christ in what she values and prioritizes? Do you see that in her decision-making? Does her life show a clear fruit of God's spirit? So for those of you that are dating right now, I want to kind of push you a little bit to ask that kind of question of each other, you know, open Galatians, talk about the fruit of the Spirit, and, and ask what, what are areas in which you don't see yourself growing? What are areas you've seen God grow you? What can we do to grow even more? Can you tell that they're, that, uh, that they're a Christian just by looking at their schedule? Maybe by the way they spend their money? From their passions and from their dreams? 
Does she show an evident trust in God's word? And I'm not just saying, does she read God's word, but does she trust it? Does that become the guiding force of her life? Or is it what other people say? What's currently going on in her life? Does she have an evident love and care for others in the church? Jesus was clear that his followers would be marked by love and love for others in his church. Do you see evidence of that? I think another important one, do you both share uh, the same view and value for marriage? You guys think that you might be on the same page. And maybe if you, you, maybe you're asking, well, I don't know what that means. Uh, I want to encourage you to read the book of Ephesians, particularly spend time reading Ephesians 5. Actually, here's my, here's my suggestion. Uh, so talk to somebody that's married and ask them to study Ephesians 5 with you. Think and talk about it together. Maybe that could be a, a conversation then with this person that you're dating already right now. Some of them you might want to consider dating. Uh, finally, uh, what would older woman, women in her church say about her spiritual growth? Really to know someone well, you need to know what others think of that in some ways. So what would some of these wiser, older women say? And maybe you're thinking, well, she really doesn't know some, some of these women. Well, maybe she needs to get to know some of them. Uh, these are questions you should think through when you decide to start a dating relationship. But in, in, in some honesty, I want to say that they are questions that you will revisit, revisit over the course of this relationship. And in some ways, I think as, in, as married people here will recommend, even in your marriage, you will continually be having these kind of conversations. So begin now. Mm. Look, everything I've said is true, but it can easily be misused. Let me explain. So much, of the worldly, so much of worldly dating is sizing up a person. You know, how much of this, how, how well do they scale up? You know, good looking figure, check. Prestigious education, check. Lots of debt, I'm sorry, I'm out. Mm-hmm. And it's easy to use these questions as uh, something of a Christian checklist. We need to abandon the world's idea that the goal of marriage is to buy as good of a person we can afford. Or better yet, to land the, the perfect catch. That language is a language that puts the attention on performance and pride, but and not grace. Which is why, brothers, really in some ways, I'm encouraging you to have this conversation in community. In community with, with, with other Christians. I want to offer you two ways to think of this question. These questions. One, use them to shape what you are attracted to. If you're looking for charm, beauty, and the fear of the Lord, you're going to get hung up on things that don't just matter to you, but matter to the Lord. One of the goals of your single year of your single years is to train your years and your heart and your mind, really your affections, to desire the things of God. And what you do then is what you would want to see in a spouse. You know, God's rebuke for the prophet Samuel is one that we need to hear. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Two, I want to say, think of these questions as a baseline. But recognize that much of your decision of who to marry won't be about that person, but really in some ways what, who you guys are together. Dating involves assessing the person, to be sure, but it's mainly about assessing the relationship. Your question shouldn't be as much as, who is the godliest person in my church? That's who I'm going to marry. 
might be a starting point. But it is who is showing a growing mark towards godliness. Who's showing a track record of faithfulness? Brothers, uh, in some way, if you're asking, well, how do I assess this? Uh, I want to say, seek the Lord while he might be found. And seek other brothers to help you make this decision. I want to help by offering what I think can be a bit controversial. Uh, that is, we want to consider what it means to date with the help of the church. I think often people think of dating, even amongst Christians, as, you know, we're going to tell, some, we're going to tell people that we're dating. But that's as far as it goes. I want to suggest going a couple more steps ahead. I want to suggest that in God's grace, he's given you his word and his prayer and prayer, but he's given you the church to be actively involved in your life. And so I want to challenge those of you that are in relationships and those of you that might want to consider being in relationships to, to consider how the church uh, not only acts as people that know about your relationship, but that function as supporting aids that walk with you. So you want to be thinking of people that not only know about the relationship, but know enough in order to say, that's not right. That might not be helpful. Um, it, brothers, it, it frees us from dating in private. You know, then you're no longer leaving your own conscience to make up some decision, but you're involving other people. I think most importantly, it gives you access to godly wisdom that's being applied. There are some men who, who in in God's providence, are seeking to apply God's word in their marriage. And you want to involve them to help you think in wisdom how you might consider this marriage. Uh, brothers, I, 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 my aim is not to add more weight. and Maybe you feel that. Uh, and if that is you, I want, you know, come talk to us. We want to, we want to help you. But really, find your encouragement in Jesus Christ, um, who gave himself up for us so that we might have fellowship, union with him. We might know his love. And so where you think even right now, well, I am failing. I look at this and I think, oh, I am, I am far from unprepared. You know, brother, that's the Lord's kindness to you. That this might be the Lord's way in which he might grow you to love him more, to lean on him more. And that's good. That's great for us. I have a last word for, for the married man, which is, I think we serve our church better by not only seeking to know our single brothers, but helping them think long-term about what it might mean for them to be in relationship. So even if you're discipling a single man, think about ways in which you're preparing them not only for life now, but life ahead. Uh, brothers, that's all really I have to say. I, I think, I don't know how much time is left, but we're done with time. My watch died. But I have some books to give away. We have three books to give away. Um, one... The first hand that goes up, uh, Ben already talked about this, Seven Myths About Singleness. Anyone that particularly would, would enjoy reading this, that might be helped by it, you don't have to be single. You can be married to. Beryl? Okay. Um, I have another one. This kind of gets at Ben's point here on sexual purity. Why does God care who I sleep with? Again, by Sam Aubrey, great book. Um, and this is one I recently found. I will say that I think I agree with most of what's in the book. Um, and that's only because I've read most of the book. <laughs> it's called Letters to a Romantic on Dating. 
Uh, I think what I really enjoy about this is that it's, I initially thought it was a book mainly for people that are dating, but it's actually wide open. It's got a chapter on marriage versus singleness, the sorrow and joy in singleness, contentment in dating, uh, a lot of great two-page topics. Uh, the authors write it like as if they're writing a letter to somebody, so it's very readable. Uh, does anyone want to read this? I think this book would be best served reading with someone else, uh, preferably another man. I saw that he was raising hands. Great, thanks guys. Uh, comments or questions? Yeah, so we have like three minutes left. Any questions that you have? Or else you can meet Channel or me or anyone, any one of the others to clarify your questions. But any anything specific that you would like? You mentioned that the 19th century, before 19th century, Bible was there after 19th century. So just to understand more of dating, because I'm new to this. I just want to understand. Yeah, brother, I, you know, honestly, I just got started with thinking through the history of dating. There's some people here that might know more than I do. So it might be, if there's anyone here that particularly knows more about the history of dating, and would be would feel free to maybe talk to Keshav a little bit more. I can give you some starting places just to think about it. Uh, I have one question uh, for first session about singleness. Sure, I'll yeah, like uh, Ben was mentioning that being isolated. Uh, so I want to ask that being isolated, how can we lose grace? He said that we need grace to we need to be with the church, be with the church, or we need to uh, have, yeah, going to mingle with church members. Right. Yeah, if we isolate, we may lose the grace. We may not lose the grace, we may miss on experiencing grace from our fellow church members. Uh, as singles, we go through many temptations, many seasons of difficulties. Uh, so it could be sinful, it could be some hard times, job, health, uh, family issues. And when you live life in isolation by yourself, you are actually avoiding yourself from receiving grace in terms of maybe some counsel, maybe even prayer, maybe just listening to you. These are all that God has Establish church for a reason that we can experience grace from each other as Christ has given grace to us. So, yeah, it is it is very beneficial to be in a church community where we can experience what God has given us. Yeah, if I might kind of add a little bit. Yeah. I want to be careful and say, I think there are some of us that uh, might find um, maybe a bit of re-energizing of ourselves by getting time alone. Mm. I'm not necessarily suggesting that. Yeah. I'm, I don't think, Ben, no. you're suggesting no. that. I'm suggesting that that's wrong. I think we're talking about a pattern, pattern. where we are refraining ourselves uh, from uh, being involved in God's church, isolating ourselves. Well, I'm single, no one else is single, you know, no one's going to understand my life. Uh, really, I think what we mean is not willing to be open about our lives. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Mark's, Mark's talk tonight is about that. Okay. Yeah. Well, and even to like the second two points of gospel friendship mm. that Brian was highlighting, right? Like, uh, in what was it, meaningful conversations? Yes, yes, right. As well as life together. Mm. Um, isolation can be opposed to those two. Right, yeah, so absolutely. That's probably the corrective. It's not that alone time is wrong, 
mm. but if alone time is to the detriment mm -hmm. of mm -hmm. like, yeah. being open about the real things in your life yeah. and doing life together, then it's going to be to your detriment. Yes, yeah. yes. True. I had a really practical question for dating. Sure. Um, when I was dating, I got told by different people, one, that you should read the Bible with the person you're dating, and the other person said you shouldn't because it fosters intimacy too quickly. What would you say? What, what, uh, can you repeat Sorry. Uh, I got told that you should read the per you should read the Bible with the person you're dating to kind of see how they handle the scriptures. And other people told me you shouldn't because you, it like builds intimacy really quickly. Oh, with the, um, with the person you're dating. Oh, uh, hey, I think if you're uh, reading the Bible and if you're you sh and if you're growing in intimacy, you should get married. Soon. Uh, because you're <laughs> <laughs> I did look. Uh, I uh, I'm, I'd be curious to know what other other wiser brothers might think on this issue. Actually, well, I kind of had a, re a related question, which was you mentioned that who you marry um, slash dating in general. There's so much wisdom issues in that. So, what advice would you give to, for instance, those of us giving advice on dating <laughs> about how to give advice? Since so much of this is wisdom issues, right? That's great. I think yeah. I, I, I think that's a great question. Did you want to add to that, or did you have? Can I just answer that? You can answer that, and I'll answer that. Yeah, question. yeah. I feel like you know, if you're going to make a mistake one way or the other, make a mistake of reading the Bible. And I think to Evan, I think to your point, uh, we want to try and. Uh, make sure that our principles are found from God's word. And then the application of those principles are where, is where prudence lies. Uh, and like in one some situation just like this, uh, I could see some prudence both ways. I think I understand where Nissan might come from. Uh, so I think, you know, walking through people with uh, the marriage texts, I have been particularly happy when I was uh, a single guy and then I started dating uh, David Lawrence would walk me through the, the qualifications of an elder as a start point to talk about godliness in my life. Hmm. You know, just other places like in, the, in Proverbs. Um, I know someone did this, at, you know, whenever there was a question about marriage in the sermon, uh, a couple that was dating, date, uh, that was counseling dating couples would then say, hey, did you talk about this question? What do you guys think about it? Let's talk about it together. Uh, yeah, that's, where I would, that's what I would think. Think about what biblical principles okay, One last question. I, yeah. I, I think just to add to, to what Evan's asking, I think because when things fit into the realm of, of wisdom, it's not a right or wrong. <clears throat> Having rules can be unhelpful. Right. You know, you can self-impose rules, but saying, you know, saying you must do X in your dating relationship when it's like, hey, there's, there's all kinds of factors involved. <laughs> Is, is important to have in mind. Making recommendations and the more unwise a decision or some sort of actions or behaviors seems, speaking stronger, but still saying, you know, I discourage that, I don't think that's wise, mm. but there is a point where it becomes, that's wrong, that's sin. But yeah. don't command when scripture doesn't command. Don't right. command when yeah. scripture doesn't command. But be, I think you can speak passionately if you think something is really really foolish or if you think something's very much to be encouraged and is in, in the this is very wise you know and, and maybe also again our church especially being so cross-cultural mm -hmm. um, it's even more important for us to be aware of what our wisdom issues and right. what our cultural bias is mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. think something is actually an absolute wisdom. 
Right. Right. Yeah. All right, brothers. One last question. We are out of time, but just accommodating one last question. Sure. Pepin. Yeah. 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 Just to add to what Evan asked, because can a single man, should a single person give counseling? Uh, on dating? To, yeah, on dating, on marriage, on relation to the other brothers of the church. As a believer, that, should he do that? That seems to be what Paul is doing yeah. in First Corinthians. Yeah. 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 Because, it's according to scripture. Right, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's scripture, but things that just the experience, I, I guess I, I get it, but things that just the experience of a person who is married or has been dating makes sense to give advice to that person over there. Experience, experience is can be really helpful. Yeah. yeah. But for example, you've not experienced having a child yet. But if you saw me parenting in a sinful way, I hope you would correct me. And even though you've not ever yeah. experienced raising a mm. daughter of your own, mm. in the same way, I think if you see someone doing sinful things in their dating relationships, right. you can speak into it. I think. I think that's what I'd say. I think that's one of the most beautiful things about scripture, though, is that. Like, it means that although experience is great, like, mm -hmm. we have God's word that's the ultimate authority mm -hmm. and that can speak into every situation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so, if you're looking at God's word and seeking to apply it to your own life, and then, secondarily, to the lives of your friends, like, that's fantastic. And you can totally speak truth into that. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. This has been a great conversation, guys. All right, brothers. Thank you so much. Uh, but we are open for conversation, okay? Uh, reach out to anyone during the day, or even tomorrow or subsequent weeks, more than happy to talk to mm -hmm. all of you, right? Uh, so can I request Tobin, can you close us in prayer? Father, we just want to thank you that uh, you've been speaking to our hearts through, uh, through these sessions a lot, Father, and especially uh, through this breakout session. We want to thank you for reminding us of the importance of um, how we need to be thinking about singleness and dating. Um, and Father, we pray a lot, especially for all the brothers in our church, that Father, we would immerse ourselves in the gospel, in your word, um, and grow in our friendship with each other so that we would uh, care for each other in how we think about these things, and that mm. we would help each other um, to make the right uh, choices in our lives and uh, what will bring glory uh, to your name and what will edify each other. Um, and Father, would you please help us um, as we reflect on what we have learned right now. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Amen.